This is Persuasion and the Public Mind. I'm Mark Bourdain. Today we're talking about persuasive campaigns, movements, and presentations with Tim Borchers, a regular contributor to this podcast and author of Persuasion in the Media Age. Tim, let's start out by differentiating between persuasive campaigns and persuasive movements. What is the difference? Generally, persuasive campaigns are more formal, they're more structured, they're a little more coordinated, uh, they exist for a period of time and then they're done. Uh, they generally use pretty much accepted modes of communication or, or more mainstream communication. And quite often they center on a specific person, idea, or product. So think of a political campaign as a good example of a persuasive campaign. We know that there's an election on a certain date in this country, and when that election is done, the campaign is done. Uh, we know that they use a lot of mediated forms of communication. They use um, platform speeches. We have conventions that are already scheduled. And we know that usually it centers around a person and, and some of their ideas. So that's a campaign. Right. A movement, however, would be something that's, that's less structured, that's, that's more informal, uh, something that might spring up organically as opposed to being imposed on by certain laws that require it to take place. We know that it, it will sometimes go on and on for a long time until its goal is completed or until it dies out. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that sometimes movements use strategies that are sometimes outside of the, the norm of, of traditional uh, communication. Protests, for instance, would be a good example of, of a persuasive strategy used by a movement. And then it, it's often based on a cause or, or something like, like the climate crisis, I think, is a pretty good example of, of mm -hmm. movements that we're seeing now. So it's not so much centered on a person, though there certainly might be a leader of that movement, but it's more centered on the cause. So while there are some, some clear differences, oftentimes they, they do blur together a little bit. Uh, one might think that Bernie Sanders, who's running for the Democratic nomination, uh, he, he's often thought of as being part of a movement as well as a campaign. And even President Trump, I think many people would say, uh, is part of a movement and not just a, a standard political character. Got it, yeah. Well, we, uh, we know that uh, whether we're considering a campaign or a movement, uh, the public mind can be influenced by persuasive techniques used uh, by that campaign or movement and through the use of uh, various media channels. Uh, tell us a little more about how this process works. So while they might use different types of communication, you know, a standard convention speech versus a protest, uh, we do learn about both campaigns and movements through the media, and they do have particular ways of, of covering covering these different topics. So. Uh, they make us aware of them, first of all. Uh, quite often, movements in particular, you don't really know about it until it gets enough media coverage. Uh, likewise, with, with political candidates, we typically tend to focus on the top two or three mm -hmm. in each party, but typically there are dozens uh, running even for, for president each, each year. So they make us aware of it. They also allow the, the persuaders to bring their message directly to the people. So Twitter is probably a really good use of, uh, or really good example of how both political candidates and persuasive campaign leaders can use social media to grow their audiences, to communicate their messages, and to really try to get support for what it is that they're trying to do. Also, it, it lets them escape some of the filter of the traditional media. So when you can read a, a candidate's tweets directly or when you can 
uh, watch a live broadcast of, of something, you, you often miss the, the commentary that goes along with it. And so you're able to make your own judgment about how, whether you believe it or not, whether you're going to, to buy into it or not as well. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, media is a good way to spark public deliberation about different topics. Uh, political candidates um, try to be talked about. They try to get people to support them. They try to get the face-to-face communication going to support them. And likewise, um, social movements kind of organically can, can spring up uh, as well. Uh, it's important, though, that while while these, these actors, uh, both political candidates and persuasive movement leaders can speak directly to the to the audience quite often they're filtered uh, by the media the the media do frame to some degree how we perceive them so they're a fringe movement oftentimes or a mainstream movement or you know this is a very popular candidate versus this is one who's only polling in the one percent range Uh, they they really do frame our perceptions of it and also um, media like, like we've like we've been talking about create the culture in which these things take place so a lot of the movements that we have today wouldn't have been able to take place in, in media cultures of, of past ages just because of the different expectations that we have, the different ways of thinking that we have, and the different ways of relating to each other through media that we have now. Yeah, and, and what about uh, persuasive techniques used by the campaigns or move, movements themselves? So quite often they're, they're using some of the same techniques, actually. Uh, slogans are, are very popular, for instance, uh, political campaigns all, all have a slogan. A lot of media or a lot of uh, persuasive movements have slogans as well. And those become just quick little ways of, of knowing what the candidate's about. Kind of it summarizes what their perspective is or it, it communicates what the movement is trying to get done. Uh, songs are, are a pretty important part historically. Songs have played a very big role in protest movements. Uh, there have been a lot of songs of the 60s, for instance, if you think about those, often reflected some of the, the protests that took place then. Sure. And even today, some, some music that we have is, is uh, more um, aimed at sparking social change, for instance. And candidates, of course, use songs as part of their commercials. They use songs as part of their uh, rallies. So, so songs can be pretty important. Uh, obviously, they're, they're using visual images just like any other persuader that we've been talking about. Uh, those images can prove that they're a popular candidate. They can prove that they're a qualified candidate. Uh, they can suggest uh, things that, that words can't necessarily. If we If we think back to some of the some of the discussion that we had about about images and also uh, for for persuasive movements images can become very powerful they can have a very emotional response oftentimes that that really sparks uh, public outcry about different things or really sparks public attention about them so images would be something else uh, that that also would be important events that take place uh, protests that like i've mentioned or conventions Mm -hmm. and then of course speeches Still at, still at the heart of both persuasive campaigns and persuasive movements are speeches, speeches that politicians give at important events, uh, such as the, the convention, speeches they give as part of a debate, but also speeches that, that persuasive movement leaders might give at rallies, for instance, or on television or some of the different venues that they have. So all of those different persuasive strategies that we've been talking about can be used by either movements or by campaigns. Right. Okay. Well, you know, since we um, hold state and local and national elections every two years or so in this country, it might be a a good idea to uh, apply some of the information you've mentioned to a hypothetical political campaign. 
Uh, generally speaking, um, how do political candidates attract voters to their message and how does media cover political campaigns? Well, a candidate would, would start by really trying to figure out what they feel passionate about, what images they, or what topics they can speak authentically to, because I think you can tell when a political candidate uh, takes on a position that, that you can kind of sense they don't necessarily agree with. So first, first they have to really figure out what's in their heart, what, what are they passionate about, what are they knowledgeable about, and then they, they'll probably uh, do some focus groups with voters, they'll probably do some, some polls with voters to try to figure out which uh, images, which issues are going to be the most persuasive for that group of voters. They have to take into consideration the, the area in which they're campaigning. For local races, uh, you, can, you can pull a lot of information out of, out of the different local offices to, to get voter lists and to try to determine who the voters are, kind of what some of their beliefs might be, what their lifestyles are, and then really start thinking about how, how you're going to craft your message. What are some of the positions you'll take on policies? How do you communicate those positions? And then thinking about the different types of events that they, that they wish to hold. Fundraising events are a very important part of, of the political process. Uh, candidates need funds to be able to do a lot of the work that they do, so they need to hold fundraisers at which they give speeches and, and try to get the, the audience to, to give money to their campaign. And then, of course, debates would be an important part of the important part of the process. They need to be able to communicate uh, concisely and sharply sometimes what their policy positions are and what their experience is to differentiate themselves from from their opponents. Uh, they'll they'll use the internet and social media these days uh, very very much to be able to uh, build audiences online and then to be able to communicate their message online and then to get their audiences to share their messages online as part of their Facebook feeds or, or their internet or their tweets. Mm -hmm. And so that that's important. Advertising kind of depends on the the race that, that you're in, a, a more local race, you might see a lot of lawn signs, and that might be the extent of the advertising, except for maybe a few articles in a, in a newspaper. Um, but national presidential campaigns, they're advertising in social media, they're advertising on the radio, on television, um, pretty much any way that you can think of to advertise, they will, they will be doing that. In terms of interpretation, the media is always trying to, to put candidates into a, into a box, it seems like. This is the mainstream candidate. This is the far left candidate. This is the far right candidate. And then they really characterize those, those candidates for, for the audience in terms of, of talking about oftentimes when you have a lot of primary uh, candidates running for office, they talk about different lanes. You know, this is the moderate lane. This is the left lane. This is the progressive lane. So they're really trying to, to interpret what those candidates are and, and which kind of spot they fit into in, in, the, in the race. They often really focus on, on melodrama. So there's always uh, some kind of crisis or some kind of problem, some kind of scandal. And how does this candidate respond to that scandal or, or that crisis? So it's constantly trying to um, react to, to different events that take place and figure out how the candidates are, are reacting to that event. Mm -hmm. And of, of course, problems always happen for candidates and how they respond to those problems goes a long way towards whether they can continue to gain support and, and be successful or whether they'll eventually have to drop out or, or lose in the general election. And then primarily the, the media is really focused on the horse race. They're focused on who's leading at each different point. And so you can't escape polls 
during during campaigns. And sometimes this is even even local or state races. There are a lot of polls that are done, but certainly at the presidential level, we know who's leading in which state, and they have 10 different polling companies, and they try to figure out what the average of that is to really try to figure out who's ahead. So right. the media really is interested in who's winning, who's losing, and and what the other candidates need to do to make up ground if, if they're behind. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we, we just talked about a persuasive campaign. Now let's uh, switch to the strategies involved with persuasive uh, movements and how uh, they're covered by the media. Um, how does a persuasive movement attempt to gain support or um, how do issues get framed through uh, media? Well, to some degree, it may be similar to what a, a political candidate might do, uh, but quite often it, it's it's much more organic, and you might have leaders that that emerge uh, from from different um, persuasive events that might take place, and and oftentimes they are using uh, persuasive strategies that are more outside of the mainstream, so that tends to get a lot of a lot of media attention um, in, in ways that, that a traditional political candidate wouldn't because they're using more generalized. I think a really good example right now is, are some of the climate uh, crisis protests that are taking place uh -huh. uh, throughout the country. Uh, we've got a 16-year-old girl from, from Europe who took a sailboat across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, and that generated a lot of interest just right there with, with her coming across, uh, across the Atlantic, sure. and then with her speaking at the United Nations, and with organizing um, walkouts of, of classes by students all around the world, I, I think you see a, a much different a, a attempt to try to get the, the public's attention and to try to draw the public's attention to the climate crisis. And so um, in ways that a political candidate would never be able to get that kind of, of interest generated around a particular topic. I mean, there were some that ran for president on a, on a climate platform, but they, they didn't last very long because they weren't able to really capture the, the attention and the imagination of the, of the public. And so there's just a wide, a wide range of, of strategies can be used, but, but generally it has to be something the media is going to uh, pay attention to, something that's going to be shocking enough to, for the public to pay attention to, and then something that can be sustained long enough in order to uh, really make some real change. So how does media tend to frame these attention-generating events? Well, sometimes they're, they're framing the event as uh, the, the little person taking on the, the system, or I think with the climate crisis, it's, it's, I saw an article that talks about how it's teenage girls that are really uh, leading this, this, um, this movement, whether it's in their schools or whether it's in some of the media coverage. So, so the media oftentimes try to, try to understand a, a movement or characterize a movement by looking at who some of the leaders are, by looking at what kind of positions they're taking, uh, looking at how they respond to to different events that take place, and you can probably think of of a lot of different movements that have been that have been out there. The Black Lives Matter movement, uh, GLBTQ movements over the years, uh, that the feminist movement, and you, you can kind of draw your own um, ideas about connotatively how those have been characterized by the media, and, and you probably have a, a strong opinion about those movements uh, because of some of the beliefs that, that, have, that you've developed based on media coverage of those movements. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's move to the topic of uh, creating persuasive presentations. Um, here we're, we're talking about an individual speaking to an audience. Um, in your book, you write about 
<clears throat> some key strategies for uh, being an effective communicator and analyzing your audience. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it's kind of a, a microcosm of, of what I mentioned earlier with, with political candidates. Uh, when you're about to give a, a persuasive presentation, you have a thesis, and that is really the point that you're trying to get across, the, the persuasive message, what, what's your goal, how do you want the audience to respond and, and react. And then you need to really think about who is in that audience, uh, both the immediate audience that you'll be speaking to, but also maybe some secondary audiences that might see a, a stream of a speech that you're doing or might download your slides at some point. And so really trying to think about what, what is the story that, that you need to tell that audience? How do you need to make that audience feel? So you've drawn some emotional appeals. What, what is some logic or some evidence that you can present to that audience? And then, of course, you, you do your research and you, and you fully support uh, the points that you're trying to make. Um, but visual imagery, as we've talked about, uh, particularly here with the use of, of PowerPoint or Keynote or Prezi or some of the other different presentation aids can, can help to bring your audience along uh, with your message. Storytelling is a, is a very powerful way of, of uh, using specific anecdotes to to create a persuasive impression in your audience. Uh, interacting with the audience can often be an important way of, of getting them to, to see your point of view by allowing them to ask questions and then answering them, for instance, uh, can be pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, you, you need to, to really understand uh, the setting that the speech takes place. Uh, oftentimes, if you don't fully understand uh, where it is that you're speaking or who you're speaking to or the occasion on which you're speaking, uh, you may not, may not be as effective. And then, and then really it's, it's um, giving a, a well-delivered and well-presented uh, speech that has some, some vocal variety in your delivery, uh, that avoids having a lot of uh, disfluencies vocally, and something that can really be inspiring to your audience as well as uh, being based on, on sound facts and evidence and, and emotional appeals. You also write about the idea that in any speech, there are important talking points that should be organized in a particular pattern, depending on the nature of the speech. You identify speeches that concern fact or value goals, speeches on questions of policy, and speeches that feature a storytelling structure. Perhaps you could do a little analysis of these three types of speeches so we can understand what information is included, um, how it should be organized, and the differences between them. Well, without going into a whole lot of detail, right. if, you are, if you're giving a, a speech like in a legal setting, if you're trying to convince a jury that someone is, is guilty of a crime, you would, you would need to first define what the, the law says is that crime. And uh, each, each kind of crime that we have has different provisions, different criteria that need to be met in order for that crime to have occurred. And then you have to show how the facts of the situation meet that definition. So a pretty, pretty basic format. First, you define what, what it is that, that the crime is, and then you show how the facts meet the, the situation. You may also talk about some extenuating circumstances uh, on either side that, that might mitigate against the facts or that might prove the facts even more. So those are, those are speeches when you're trying to establish that a fact or a value is true. If you're trying to get an audience to change their minds or take some kind of action, then you might use something um, just problem cause solution is a, is a good framework to use where your first part of your speech talks about the problem that you're trying to get the audience to solve. Mm -hmm. 
And then your second part talks about what the cause of that problem is. And then the third part of the speech is where you show the audience what the solution is and you try to get them to buy into needing to adopt the solution. Mm -hmm. So that can be pretty effective when you're trying to get an audience to, to change their mind. If you are uh, telling a story, uh, there's a lot of different perspectives that are out there. Uh, there there's some that, that really talk about um, almost like a, a movie or a book that you might read where there's a different um, movement that takes place and, and building up to a, a penultimate point where you get the audience to to go along with you. So you use more or less like like you're writing a novel and trying to, to get the audience to to agree with you at the end of the at the end of the novel or at the end of the story. So there's a couple different ways of doing that. Obviously you can arrange your ideas chronologically within that so you're building them to a certain point through time. Uh, you can organize by by physical space. So you might be able to uh, move from from one part of the uh, part of an area that you're talking about to another, or you might uh, do it by order of importance. Quite often, uh, the research says your first point or your third point are generally the most persuasive and uh, most memorable for your audience. So, so don't put your, your best point second in a, in a list of three. So those are some considerations that, that are often made as, as speakers are developing the structure of their speech. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's say we have the, the goals of our speech defined. Uh, the audience and setting has been researched as much as possible. And we have arranged our presentation in an, in an engaging way uh, based on the topic we're discussing. Uh, what issues or questions have we not uh, considered yet? So there are probably a few other strategic uh, questions that, that a persuader needs to think about. Um, they need to think about how much they're going to surprise the audience, maybe by, by the, the topic or by the position that they want them to take. Uh, in some cases, it, it's good to give some forewarning to your audience to kind of prepare them uh, for, for what's coming uh, so you don't just um, present something to them and, and kind of make them surprise them so that they can't process what you're saying. So forewarning is the, the term that's used for that. Okay. And then uh, you, you want to figure, you want to consider how much of the other side do you want to introduce? Sometimes it's useful actually to introduce um, why an audience wouldn't buy into what it is that you're trying to do, because then you can show how that can be overcome. But if, uh, but you need to be careful with that because if you present too much contrary information, then you might actually persuade the audience to the other side as well. So, um, so you definitely, if you introduce the other side, you need to show how your position refutes that position. Uh, you might also think about primacy versus recency. Again, audiences sometimes think about um, they remember something they hear first or they hear remember something they hear last. They often don't remember those things they hear in the middle. So giving some thought to how you what you want to communicate first and what you want to save to the end is important. Okay. And then inoculation is a, is a term from, from medicine that actually kind of relates to persuasion as well. And that's where if you, if you give the audience a little bit of, of what, you're, what you're planning to do, then they can often warm up to it and, and be able to be more accepting of it. So um, that's another consideration. How much, how much do you want to give them up front versus how much do you want to, to save towards the end? Some excellent information about the strategies and use of persuasion in campaigns, movements, and presentations from Tim Borchers. 
We have more resources on this topic listed under the podcast description. Persuasion and the Public Mind is available on most podcast platforms and always at anchor.fm forward slash persuasion. Thanks for listening. See you soon.